uh, interesting enough, as I was preparing my message, I was thinking through, and right in that region of the world, there's a, there's a number of countries that are all bordering one another. And a few years ago, I participated in a church planting initiative in the southern region of Poland, which is right there. And uh, we visited a number of fledgling uh, churches, smaller churches, smaller centers surrounding the city of Wrocław. And in this area of Poland, uh, there's a, a number of smaller cities and smaller towns. And one church in particular stood out to us because of their vibrant faith and their sense of God's presence that was upon their community. And you could experience that in everything that they did in, in, in every way. You could see it in how they lovingly embraced one another when they got together at church. You could see it in how they worshiped. They were vibrant in their worship. You could see it in how intently they listened to the message. You could see their faith and their vibrancy in how they fellowshiped with one another. And, uh, and it was like God's presence was upon every area of their church. And we visited that church on a Sunday morning and halfway through the service, the sanctuary space filled with the scents and the smells of lunch. And um, God blessed these like smaller, older Polish ladies that gave up the sermon and went down into the basement of the church to begin making lunch. And the longer the service went, the hungrier we all got. And at the end of the service, it was so awesome because the whole church got up and the, the men uh, would clear all the, like, all the pews and all the rows and they'd set up chairs and tables and turn the whole auditorium into like a dining hall, uh, the whole sanctuary. And the ladies would go down to the church basement and they would bring up like baskets and, uh, of like baked goods and pastries and homemade breads and big pots of goulash. And they would bring up platters of sausage and cheese and pickles and preserves. And I was in heaven. Like I love Europe so much. It's awesome. Uh, you know, I, I'm thankful that the Lord sent me there to this missions field, and I had this amazing lunch, and we sat down, and we thought, you know what, isn't it so nice that you're doing this lunch, and you're providing this lunch for your Canadian guests? Thank you so much. And they looked at us kind of bewildered, and they said, well, this, this is what we do every week. This is how they do church. They come to church, they have prayer, they do worship, they have the message, and they have lunch, and they stay there, and they hang out, like, till the afternoon, and that's how they do church, and they're just together, and they're enjoying life. It, it was incredible, and you can sense God's presence and vibrancy on this community of people. Now, when lunch is done, the most amazing thing happens. The older men would sit at the tables, and they would tell stories, and the kids would sit there with smiles on their faces, and they would giggle and laugh along, and the ladies would get up, and they would clear all the plates, and they would go and get coffee and dessert for everybody. I'm like, man, I gotta send my wife to like a European mission strip so she could pick up some of these skills. It was, it was amazing. And, um, and so there we are, we're sitting there and we're having dessert and coffee and we're visiting and we said like, what is it about your church? Like why is it so full of life and faith? And they had been, uh, they had started a, uh, a homeless ministry, like a, a home, a group home for kids that were basically orphans or were street kids, had nowhere to go. They had an outreach to at-risk youth. They were supporting uh, a recovery center for people struggling with addictions. They were just about to launch a second campus in their town. And you could see that God's presence was on. I said, well, what, what is it? Like we've seen other churches and they've kind of been struggling or not doing as good and you've got so much fruit. Like what's going on? 
And um, they, they, they began to tell us, they said, uh, it's because God had always been moving mountains. Since the very beginning of their church starting, God has always been making a way where there seemed to be no way. Uh, the church began as just a few families gathered together who had a dream to plant a spirit-filled evangelical Pentecostal church in the area. And they kept asking the city officials for land, and they kept getting turned down. I guess in this part of town, or this part of the world, in the, in the cities and the towns, they will grant property to charities and to uh, good causes and initiatives to help them get started. And like many of the smaller cities and towns in rural Poland, the Catholic Church was very protective of their power. And they had a stronghold over the mayor and the town fathers, and they kept getting blocked. They kept being prevented from getting land. And for years, this small group of believers, this small group of families who had a vision, had faith, had a dream, they would go before the town fathers at the monthly town meeting every month for 10 years, and they were told no every time. Until, after 10 years of asking, the city officials are so sick of them coming to every town meeting every month that they finally relent and they finally give in and they give them land. And this church is given land. And the first mountain is moved. And God does something amazing. And, and through all of the politicizing and all of the opposition and all the things, they're gifted property. Just to shut them up, go and get out of our hair. Well, the church is given property only to find out that years earlier, it was, um, it, the, the property just outside of town, they, were, they found out that just years earlier, it had served as the town dump. It was the regional landfill. And the church was given this property only to find out that basically it was impossible to build on. And now they faced another mountain. And things got even more challenging because after they received the land and took ownership of it and it was theirs, then the Ministry of Environment or whoever it was, the government, stepped in and said that this area is a hazard, it's an environmental hazard, and you as the landowners have to pay to clean it up. You've got to reclaim all this, all this land. And the mountain just got bigger. And now they're faced with this of like, what are we going to do? They do not have the resources to take on a task like this. They're overwhelmed, they're discouraged, but they say, you know what? If God gave us this land, God will make a way. So they pool their resources together to hire some heavy equipment to begin the process of trying to clean up the land. They know they don't have enough money. They can't do it on their own. I'm reminded of Jesus when he wants to feed the crowds and, and he says to the disciples, like, you know, we should feed them. And they say, well, we don't have enough. And Jesus, well, what have we got? And they gather up just a few loaves of bread and a few pieces of fish and Jesus multiplies it and he meets the need. And so they pool their money together, they just get enough, they hire a heavy equipment company, an excavating company, and they start beginning to assess the land, they start to dig on the land to figure out what's the scope of the job and what's gonna be involved, and that's when the excavator operator discovers that buried beneath the contaminated soil, buried beneath the garbage, is a marble deposit. And in this area of Poland, the marble is very sought after, it's high end. They feed the global market from this area 
of Poland in this sought-after marble. And the excavation company takes a look at what's going on, and they realize that because this is just on the outside of town, it's in an, kind of an undesirable area, it used to be a landfill, it's already zoned and already deemed for industrial use, and so they can actually turn it into a quarry. And so the excavation company offers the church a large sum of money to buy the land so that they can get rid of all the garbage and clean it up and they can start a quarry, which is what they do. And they go on to mine marble. It's probably still there today. Well, the church gets so much money. They go into town and they can buy a prime piece of real estate in a perfect spot. They have so much money left over that they can build a brand new building on the prime piece of property. And the very first day they open their doors, they're 100% debt free. What is hard to convey is the tears in the eyes of the older crowd as they share the stories of God's faithfulness on their church and how God moved mountains and how God continued to make a way and how God continued to provide for them. And the church is flourishing to this day because they know that God began a work in them and he is faithful to complete it. Because when you know that God moves mountains, when you see God move mountains, when you experience his faithfulness, it brings this confidence and this strength, and that is what they continue to walk in. That's why they do what they do. If God can give them a garbage dump that no one wanted and turn it into land that's rich in mineral rights, surely God can make a way for them to plant a new campus in town or to start a home to look after kids who have no home of their own. And the church walks in this confidence of knowing God moves mountains. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am confident, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. This church saw God make a way where there seemed to be no other way, and that's the God that they walked with. Our current series is called Words to Live By, which is based on the Gospel of Matthew. And our text is today is found in Matthew 21, 21, 22. Scriptures say this, Jesus replied to the, he's speaking to his disciples, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So how do we make sense out of Jesus' promise to do whatever we ask, even if it means throwing a mountain into the sea. What does Jesus mean? Well, the first thing we should know about this is that Jesus' promise to move mountains is a literal truth, a spiritual truth, that references figurative mountains. You see, the phrase moving mountains was a common phrase of the day. And as first century Jews, the disciples would have known and used this phrase. 
It meant about moving these impossible objects, these things that couldn't be moved on their own. And in John 16, Jesus himself says that he, at times, he taught with, he taught spiritual truths with figurative language. Jesus says, I, at times, I spoke to you figuratively. And in this passage of scripture in John, which I'm referencing, he says, but now I speak to you in clear, plain language. And we know this, we know that Jesus taught in parables and stories. He taught spiritual truth figuratively, using figurative language. The scriptures have no record of Jesus or his disciples ever moving a mountain into the sea. It's not something we expect as part of our faith today. And biblical scholars universally agree that when Jesus says, if you have faith, you can move mountains, he's speaking about problems and obstacles so big they're impossible for us to fix on our own. He can change the minds of town officials and give a few families some land, and he can multiply that land a hundredfold so they have enough finances to build a prime church on that prime land. Jesus is a mountain-moving God. And history and the Christian faith, missions and churches, and even you and I know from our life there's a history of God moving mountains. He's moved mountains in my life. I'm sure he's likely moved a few in yours as well. And so if you hear nothing else today, this is enough that Jesus can move the mountain in your life. Whatever the obstacle Whatever the thing that you can't figure a way out, you can't figure a way over, Jesus will move that mountain in your life. Sometimes our prayers are answered right away. Sometimes our prayers are answered in phases or over time. It took 10 years of going to a town council every month asking only to be told no, only to the next month putting it in your calendar and going and saying again. It's about faithful walking it out, believing in God, holding to the things that Jesus has put in your heart. And sometimes it takes time. And sometimes we don't fully receive what we ask for. And it's a very difficult place to be. And we have these clear promises of scripture, and yet we know, I think all of us can maturely kind of think through this and say, you know what, it just doesn't always work that tight and clean. It doesn't always happen this way. Even the disciples, even the disciples who heard Jesus say these words directly to them didn't see all of their prayers answered, didn't see everything happen. But we do see the disciples living a life where God moved mountains, where miracles did happen, where the supernatural and the breakthrough and the amazingness of God was a part of their life. Maybe not every time. There's certainly times in the life of the disciples in the early church where the things they hoped for and prayed for didn't happen, but they continued forward in their faith. In 2 Corinthians 11, 22 to 27, Paul gives this whole passage of scripture. He says, I was in prison. I was whipped, beaten, faced death more times than I can remember. I was robbed, betrayed, and lied to. He was lost in the wilderness, lost in the desert, and lost at sea. Paul knew what it was to have no roof over his head or place to lay down at the end of the day. Paul says, I know what it's like to be hungry and to be thirsty and to have no home. 
Certainly, in the life of the Apostle Paul, there were moments, there were times, there were things he prayed for, things he hoped for, that didn't happen the way he wanted them to. He didn't receive deliverance and freedom from all of those trials and all those things. But the Apostle Paul's life is also full of stories where God did move mountains, where God did do amazing things, things that were beyond what Paul could have done on his own. And so we continue to have faith. We're in this in-between, the, 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 the right now and yet to come kingdom of God where we hold on to faith and we continue to push through. And I encourage you to keep holding on to ground. Keep believing because Jesus is good and he's faithful. I think it's easy to read these two verses on their own and conclude if Jesus does not move the mountain for you, it's because you don't have enough faith. Because the Bible says, well, if you have faith, I'll do it. And if it doesn't happen and Jesus doesn't do it, then does that mean we don't have faith? And sometimes that's where we go. And I think one of the worst things that Christian brothers and sisters can do, do to one another in times of pain and loss, is to tell them they're not getting healed, their loved one died, they lost their business, Things are not working out because they didn't have enough faith. I think that's a terrible thing to say to somebody. You know, there's actually another way to read these scriptures rather than just these two verses on their own, rather than just pulling those two out and sputtering them off. There's another way to understand them, and it's in the context of the verses right there and what's happening and what Jesus is doing. This is a story and a living parable that Jesus is doing. It's a spiritual truth. Having faith is more an invitation to be connected to the vine than it is strenuous prayer that convinces Jesus to act. I stole that from a commentary that a friend of mine over here uh, lent me. Um, having faith is more an invitation to be connected to the vine than it in this hyped up, strenuous prayer that I'm going to commit and, and, I'm, and Jesus is going to do it. I'm going to convince Jesus to do it. You see, right before Jesus promises to move impossible mountains, he arrives in Jerusalem and he visits the temple and he finds things are not as they should be. Rather than the temple being a place where everyone is welcome to come and worship God, he finds it's full of corruption and greed. Gentiles, which are basically everybody who's not a Christian, or sorry, everybody who's not a Jew, which would be all of us would kind of be included in that. Gentiles are prevented from entering into the temple for worship. Uh, children are prevented from entering into the temple for worship. The poor and the needy were prevented from coming in. And the only people that were allowed in and who were worshiping were those who had some money, and they were being overcharged and swindled when they were buying temple goods for worship or when they were exchanging their money by the money changers. And Jesus sees this happening, and what does he do? He flips over the tables, he drives out the swindlers, he drives out the greedy, he drives out the corrupt, he teaches a lesson to the priests and the teachers of the law, and then he heals the sick, he gives sight to the blind, and he welcomes the outsiders in. The children are filled with joy and worshiping, the children are welcomed into the temple, and what Jesus does is he turns the temple into a place where now there's spiritual fruit. And the scriptures say the priests and the instructors of the law 
became indignant towards Jesus. So Jesus visits the temple. He finds it looks good on the outside, but instead of it being a place of prayer and spiritual fruit, he finds it's a den of robbers full of favoritism and corruption. And this is what Jesus does. He cleanses the temple. He goes out. They camp out in the city because they don't have a place to be, so they camp outside of the city. The next day they get up, and they're heading right back into the city. And this is where the verse picks up. It says, early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry, seeing a fig tree by the road. He went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. And then he said, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. And Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And this is the context that Jesus makes this promise and says these verses. And it seems like a weird story, doesn't it? Like, Jesus doesn't get his breakfast, like, that goes up to the tree. You don't have any fruit, and he curses it and kills it, like the poor tree, you know? And, and it's almost like, I think if you read it, and, and you're not kind of aware of what's going on, you could think, like, is Jesus, like, having a tantrum? Is he, like, just, like, he's got the growlies, and so he's mad? Like, what's going on? He's hangry. Hangry Jesus. Be careful. Well, remember, Jesus has just gone to the temple, which looked like a house of prayer on the outside, but in the inside is a corrupt den of robbers. When he goes over to a fig tree, expecting to get breakfast, only to find out it has no fruit. It's interesting to know that the leaves of a fig tree in this area of, uh, of where Jesus is in this region, that the, the, the fig tree, as it's growing, the leaves remain fairly small until the tree is with fruit. And when the fruit begins to grow, the leaves on the tree fill out. They go into a growth spurt. And they cover and protect the fruit from the sun. So they don't get too big in the beginning, so all the life of the plant can go into creating and growing the fruit. And all the nutrients are going into the fruit. When the fruit begins to grow, now the leaves grow. And if you see, farmers knew this, if you see a, a fig tree with large foliage, with, with leaves all over it, it told you that that fig tree had fruit. That's how you knew to go over and to pick it. That's probably why Jesus goes over to this tree, because it says he found out it had nothing but leaves. It was advertising it had fruit, when in reality it produced nothing, and therefore the fig tree has no value. It has no function. And this is what is happening in the story. Scholars tell us that what this is, is this is an active parable. Jesus is actually living out and acting out the parable. Rather than telling the story, he's modeling this parable right to his disciples to help them understand what's happened with the temple. The, the parable of the fig tree, this idea of the fig tree, is it's actually mirroring the temple. When the fig tree withers, Jesus is exposing it for what it is, ensuring no one else will go over and look for fruit. He cleanses the temple because the religious leaders and teachers of the law didn't really have faith in God. They didn't believe the very message and ministry that they were facilitating, and they just looked the part on the outside. 
The temple was full of leaves and it had no fruit. Jesus is revealing the corruption of the religious system. He's revealing the shortcomings of legalism and trying to follow the requirements of the law and attain our own righteousness in our own strength. He's pulling back all of this. He's saying that's not where it's at. He exposes the lack of fruit in the religious construct of the day because he offers another way. John 15, 5. Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is pulling back the layers on all the religious world and all the things and all the stuff we try to do on our own and all our own efforts. He says, that's not where you're going to find fruit. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, remain in me, and you will find fruit. I'm going to get the band to come, and we're going to get ready to close. They're going to, we're going to sing a song in just a moment, but I've got a, just a, a closing kind of thought with this. I really loved studying this and kind of putting this message together and realizing some of the bigger meanings of what Jesus is doing in this story. This idea that real fruit comes from spiritual renewal in Jesus. Given the context of Matthew 21, when we read these verses entirely and we understand what Jesus is doing, we understand the spiritual lesson he's making and we tie these couple of verses about having faith into this story, we actually understand that uh, if you have faith and do not doubt, that Jesus is emphasizing true belief and connection to him as the vine. Jesus is speaking about, he's like, look at the, the, the priests and the teachers of the law, they don't actually believe. Jesus, if you want to find fruit, you've got to believe. The belief and the faith that Jesus is using, the verbiage that's actually being talked about in here, is like the same faith when we open our heart and we find Jesus when Jesus comes in. It's that idea, we use that language, born again. We've used the term like, you know, you open your heart to Jesus. You, the scriptures say if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. Well, I can tell you that that belief is like as just, it's unhyped, it's just there, you know, you believe. You don't have to believe to a certain level before Jesus is finally going to hear you and forgive you. You turn your heart to Jesus, you believe in him. You believe he is who he says he is. You believe he is the son of God. You believe he is the Messiah, the chosen one, the one who came to seek and save the lost, the one who offers forgiveness, the one who is the way, the truth, the life. We believe in who Jesus is. We open our heart to him. And the Bible says if we open our heart, if we confess our need, he is faithful and just. He will forgive our sins. He's there. I'm so glad that I don't have to hype up and get myself to this certain level where I'm like, okay, if I just believe enough, Jesus is gonna, no, I believe and he's there. This is the same kind of belief. Jesus say, look, the, the temple and the, the, all this stuff, they don't really believe. I'm the vine, life is in me. Jesus is not saying we need extreme levels of mystical faith before he'll answer our prayers. 
Rather, he's inviting us to put our faith in him as the vine who brings spiritual life and fruit. May you be renewed in your hope and faith today, knowing that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and spiritual fruit comes, mountains are moved, God is present, God is at work when we're connected to him, when we're connected to the vine, when we open our heart to him, when we believe he is who he says he is. If there are some mountains in your life, be encouraged because they're not moved by your own works. They're not moved by your own hyped up faith. Mountains are moved by the hand of God. Be connected to him. Open your heart to him. Love him, be faithful to him. Be committed to him. It may not happen right away. It may not happen entirely. And yes, there are times where it just doesn't seem to work out that way. But the people, the people who experience God moving mountains, when we look at the early church, we see the disciples, we see the Apostle Paul, they saw mountains be moved. They learned to find a way to push through the discouragement and when things didn't always work out and they kept going. And I think that's the faith that God honors. The faith God honors is to put our trust and our hope in Him. And so whatever, whatever mountain is in your life, trust in Jesus. Know that He is the way, the truth, and the life. I want to just pray with you for a moment. And um, I appreciate you listening today. This is a great scripture. There's a lot of truth in here. Just in this moment, I wonder if you just bow your heads and just let's make this a, a moment of prayer. Maybe you're not used to doing this. Maybe it feels a little bit uncomfortable. I just invite you to just kind of close your eyes and we would call it just kind of reflect, open your heart, think about God, Jesus, faith, who he is, who he is to you. Maybe you haven't opened your heart to him yet. Maybe you're not even sure what that is or what that means. We see Jesus saying about himself that he's the, the way, the truth, the life. He's the vine, we are the branches. Spiritual life comes from Jesus, from being connected to him, from opening our heart to him. He made a way for us to have eternal life. He made a way for us to have an abundant life, to be free, to be healed, to be restored. And if you have not yet opened the door to your heart to welcome Jesus in, you can do that even now in this moment. And the way you can do that, I'm going to get you just to slip your hand up and just you can just put it down, just slip it up, give a wave. If you haven't done that and you want to do that, say, you know what, Jesus, I need to open the door of my heart to you. Maybe just do it up high for a second so I can see. We're just praying. And the rest of us have an opportunity, I think, once again to renew our faith and our commitment to Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. Whatever mountain 
whatever obstacle, if I were to ask you if you were courageous enough, if you were vulnerable enough to let your guard down and say, this is what's really going on. This is the mountain in my life. What would it be? What's that thing you can't fix or make go away or get around or figure a way out of on your own? invite you to reconnect to Jesus. Maybe it's like a grafting. In agriculture, they'll, they'll take a branch and they can, they can like graft it back to the vine. Maybe you need a spiritual grafting. Maybe you need a spiritual renewal. Jesus, I pray for those that would open their heart to you today and welcome you in, that you would birth something new in their spirit and in their heart. They would take a step towards knowing you. And to those in our community in this moment that have been facing some mountains and they felt distant from you, I pray, God, that you would renew their faith, you would renew their courage, you would renew their hope in you. And that, Jesus, you would help us to remember, to believe, to put our hope, to put our trust in who you are as the Son of God. And that we would live in such a way that we can know without a doubt that you are the vine and my life is a branch and I need to be connected to you, Jesus. May you fill me with your love, fill me with your presence, just as a branch draws life from the vine, that Jesus, you would fill my life with strength and courage, fill my life with discernment, and that Jesus, I would bear fruit. There would be fruit, there would be breakthrough, there would be an open door, the mountains would be moved. In Jesus' name, Jesus, move those mountains. We believe in you. We believe in who you are. We put our faith in you, just as the disciples did, just as the early church did. We believe you are who you say you are. We open our heart to you. We ask that you would move the mountains in the lives of those who are struggling in Jesus' name.